Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's season two of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Greg Koch. We're having a lot of fun. Got a bunch of great guests lined up. We're talking about guitars. Sometimes we talk about food. Sometimes we talk about aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just having a good old time. We're chewing the gristle, for pity's sake. You know, and gristle is where fat meets flavor. Ladies and gentlemen, this week on Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Greg Koch, we have the one and only Robin Ford, one of my favorites of all time and definitely a legend in the guitar world, blues, jazz, you name it. Play with everyone and their brother, just a majestic human and musician. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get into it. Robin Ford. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another installment of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Cockery. My extreme pleasure to be with Robin Ford today, guitar legend, music legend, cool cat. Ah. A buddy of mine I haven't been able to hang out with or talk to in quite some time, so I'm looking forward to catching up with you today. How are you yeah. doing? I'm good, man. Long time no see. It has been a while. So since we last saw each other, you have... Move to Nashville. So tell me what that's all about. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I moved here September 2017. And uh, I really wanted to be in an environment that I felt supported me with a life off the road. Right. So um, Nashville's the place, man. And um, it, it's been great for me here um things started rolling along very well and then of course covid hit right and <laughs> kicked everybody in the knees <laughs> right a little bit <laughs> and um so things certainly slowed down since then um but uh everything that i had um you know been looking forward to in nashville actually absolutely was happening and i was really embraced here um, you know, by the community and just, it's like you, you couldn't go anywhere without meeting a new friend. Right. A new Which musician is good. friend. That's awesome. So, uh, I, I really loved it, you know, and, um, you know, again, of course the slowdown with COVID, but even then I found myself able to stay busy, you know, we can talk about it later, but, uh, you know, a new record that I've done. So yeah, 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 let's absolutely. talk about that later though. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by, you know, a lot of people who have been involved in the music business for a while um, seem to either embrace or not embrace the new technology and the kind of the new paradigm of of doing business as a musician. And you seem to have embraced it uh, with great aplomb. And I'm wondering, is that something you consciously did yourself, or did you have some people help you out with it? Or and 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 what are your thoughts about it as opposed to the old way of doing things? Yeah. Are you referring particularly to uh, social media? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely struggled with it, resisted it, like most of us do, baby boomers people. <laughs> and uh, in fact, hate it. <laughs> but it's sort of like, you know, Greg, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I came to teaching, you know, guitar you know, as just another means of income, you know, somebody like asked me to do a clinic and I said, sure, you know, and uh, I mean, actually, I think the first thing was uh, a book, you know, like 16 licks or something like that. And I'm like, 
Sure, supplemental income. That's how I viewed it. But then with time, uh, it became like almost a passion, you know, to pass along. You, you've, you've learned that you actually do have something even unique to give, you know, not, not right only, yep. yeah, you have your own thing to give. And then it becomes enriching to you in that way uh, as well. So you get a lot more out of it than maybe you thought in the beginning. At least I have, you know. Sure. And uh, the same thing with the social media. You know, I did resist it. Uh, but my girlfriend uh, and I, we bought a house together uh, here in Nashville a little over a year ago. And uh, she is um, a creative director for a CBD company called First Crop. Oh, okay. And uh, she's, a, she's just very artistic, uh, incredible with design, really good photographer. Um, and she's done social media for her company. So oh, okay. she was like, you know, you really need to start bumping this up. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Fantastic. And then as we've done it, you know, it's just, it, it turns into, you know, again, more than, than it, it becomes, you know, once again, it's like, wow, I'm engaging with people, you know, and people write these lovely things back to you, you know, and you're having this right. exchange, you know, that's like, wow, you know, I didn't know you cared kind of thing. Right. <laughs> it's so sweet, really touching, you know. It is. I mean, it, it's nice to hear from people in, in that you're affecting their lives. And so, yeah. like, you know, when they say it's just so nice to hear that mm-hmm. uh, after years of negative reinforcement. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, I wanted to touch on the teaching thing because I have not been bashful about saying that, you know, um, I have probably learned more from you uh, than than anybody else in, in terms of in terms of theory, of, uh, how to apply theory. Wow, um, man. And, I mean, it started, I mean, I did go to school for music, but I really majored in beer, although the guy... <laughs> <laughs> Did you and, graduate? And the, <laughs> I didn't. Well, I graduated in that, but not in the academic sense. But, um, I, you know, I did learn all the, you know, the, the basic, you know, knowledge. And I learned quite a, quite a bit, actually. I wanted to be conversant in music, know how to write it and read it at some kind of a professional level. And, yeah. and know how to play over changes. Not necessarily be, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. I didn't want to, you know, because at that time you go to school for music, they want you to play a. ES-175 with flat raw strings through a polytone amp, yeah. and if you bend a string, you're a heretic. So yeah. luckily, the guy that was my teacher was was cool with that. But it started when I got that Blues and Beyond book from you, and it all started with Talk to Your Daughter, you know, and wow. I heard you, you know, playing uh, Help the Poor, and you're playing over those changes. I'm like, what is that? Uh-huh. And then when you're doing Revelation, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not the blues scale. <laughs> and so... All of these things were very instructive to me in as far as negotiating um, how to play over those changes. And then when we um, we did that camp together in Setacusa in, yeah. in Syracuse, uh, and you were showing some stuff, and it just it just hit me right in the feels. And I was able to, you know, and I never I, I never tried to ape anybody's style. That's not the point. You know, you're you have your own beautiful, very distinctive style. And I've always tried to have my own little flavor of wrongdoing. But in terms of applying the knowledge in a way that helped me to do that, it's like you are the man what? without doubt. And I, and anytime I mention to somebody, I go, well, I got this thing where you can harmonize the blues scale with these various different chords. I got this from Robin Ford and it changed my life. I'm blown away, Greg. <laughs> awesome, man. Really, touched. 
So you're you are more than correct when you say that uh, it has been effective because for me and many others now because I've passed along that stuff and I and I always I always say where I got it. From. <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> awesome. So let me ask you a little bit about uh, you know during COVID what what's a typical typical week like for you? Mm. Were you able to do some some sessions or were you doing some live streams? I know I, I saw you as things kind of lessened up a little bit as far as the lockdown quarantine. Yeah, you went down to, you know, True Fire and stuff like that. But what, what was a typical week for you like? Well, it was, um, <clears throat> it, it, the, you know, of course, everyone felt locked down, you know, for a while there, it was a, a real, a real serious thing for at least a few months, maybe. Right. Um, and uh, Kelly and I started doing these live streams on Sunday. I don't know if you ever saw any of those, Greg. But I yeah, did. Right I on. did. And um, that was sort of like when we really started breaking into the use of, you know, those kinds of tools that you were mentioning in the beginning, you know. And, um, oh, God, the learning curve was just awful, right? painful, <laughs> murderous. <laughs> I'm I'm right with and you. And I still yes. don't know. I barely can log into to talk to you here like this, man. I'm like, oh, do I have to do it on my iPhone? Maybe I can email this to myself and I can do it on my computer. You know? <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, we we kind of kept busy uh, developing that and developing my. Uh, we've just launched the Robin Ford Guitar Dojo. Right. In fact. I just washed my hair. Uh -huh. or I would have this on my head. I like Very it. Hard to go backwards <laughs> to show people <laughs> these things. But yes, the Robin Ford Guitar Dojo has just launched, and uh, so we were developing a lot of uh, um, ideas, and uh, you know, uh, starting to, you know, I've been doing this thing you may have seen. It's called no talking. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I would just sit down on the couch, get out my iPhone, and just play something, you know, and uh, started doing that. Uh, I was teaching a little bit online because we initially opened the dojo uh, on the True Fire platform, Robin Ford Guitar Dojo over there, which we're closing now. And thank you for this, actually, because it's a lovely way for me to let people know that we've opened the new site. Robin Ford Guitar Dojo. Yeah, it's a website, .com, you know? Excellent. And um, so, uh, long story longer, it was, it was really like developing what we have now done and beyond, you know, with the, with the, the new dojo site. But uh, also there were, you know, um, uh, the occasional, you know, sometimes people as yourself, you know, send me something to play on and I would do that. And uh, uh, I was producing, man. Yeah, I saw that. You did uh, Daniel Donato and some other folks I saw. Daniel yeah. Donato, A Young Man's Country. It's on vinyl as well as every other platform. Man, I'm so proud of that production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so I was also uh, communicating with and starting to work with uh, Paul Franklin, the great steel player, Greg. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, he and Vince Gill are tight, and I know Vince. You know, we've kind of jammed together here uh, on a couple of occasions and hung out a little bit. And uh, Vince is, like, doing it with us. Excellent. So it was to be Paul Franklin's record, and the rhythm section was going to be 
me, Vince Gill, and uh, this other guitarist who's an, a great Nashville talent whose name is escaping me right now. We've only hung out a little bit, but he plays great acoustic. He plays great electric too. So I love this idea of like, you know, and these, that's how I wanted to do my productions. It's like, okay, here's this artist and his band is these guys, you know? Right. One of the cool things about Nashville is people are down to do it. You know, the ego thing is just not here. Excellent. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, there's, there was some fair trade ideas going on, you know? And also John Jorgensen. I actually started producing John. We were already halfway through the record, man. And uh, COVID hit. And so both of those productions just went away. That was very bumly for me. Um, so I thought, I'll produce my own record. I owed my record company a record. I said, hey, you guys ready? They said, sure. So... I started making my new record, which is called Pure. Excellent. So all good. So it, as far as recording down there, is there, mm -hmm. uh, have, you, have you found the studio? Or are there just so many to choose from or engineers you like or so on and so forth? There or may you... be engineers that I like, but I, I've, I've already had people, you know, before I got here. I okay. already knew people that I liked. I've met a few others. Um, but... Uh, my favorite studio here is, uh, and just about everybody else's, it turns out, is uh, Sound Emporium Studio A. Okay. Just a big room, you know, wood, you know. They just got a new uh, rebuilt API console, and I love the API, man. You know, everybody's crazy about Neve, and they're great, but there's something about the API. And they just got an API in there. Nice big uh, control room, so, you know, you can really kind of relax in there. And a great live sound. That's where we cut Daniel's record in there. Uh, I've cut a couple of other records in there. Jeff Mackerlane. I produced Jeff Mackerlane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We cut his record guy. in there. And um, we did some sessions for my new record, Pure, in there. Casey Wasner is my um, co-producer, engineer. And... Um, so yeah, I've just already had kind of good company even before I got here, but also the, the people over there at Sound Emporium, they, they have good engineers uh, on hand. So I met a couple of people that I've worked with even further uh, since then. And uh, honestly, that's where I'll go if I can. Hard to get in there. Really hard to get in there. Because <laughs> you know, everybody else likes it. People clawing to get you in. You know that producer, um, he's probably the most well-known producer in Nashville right now. Who's that guy? Anyway, I can't think of him, but he'll book it out for a month. Oh, I got you. You know, things like that. I hate that. <laughs> I was going to ask you, for, so you lived in Ojai for all those years. Yeah. So, you know, it was probably a, a, a refuge away from music business, music business types, Probably, sure. I, I don't know. I, Retreat. Uh, and then, so so now you're in the thick of it. Is is it, obviously it sounds like you love it, but are you ever like, God, if I have to talk guitar with one more person when I go into the coffee oh. shop, I'm going to scream. <laughs> you know, that doesn't really happen too often, uh, fortunately. And, and if it is, it's somebody like, you know, like oddly freed or something, you know? You just run into a guy that you like. Right, right, right. It's amazing. You know? That's crazy. Uh, of course, again, COVID hit and everything slowed down in that way. 
but I used to run into oddly all the time. And, um, so, uh, the, the, again, the idea was to move here to, was to get off the road. Sure. So the road was, you know, you, you beat yourself up on the road and then come home and yeah, I wouldn't, I stayed home, man. I had no friends in Ojai. I mean, I knew people, but there wasn't anybody that I wanted to go hang out with, you know? Right. All the friends, my real close friends, I worked with them on the road. Right. So I was very happy to come home and just like, I don't, I don't want to hang out. I don't want to meet anybody for coffee, you know, in Ojai. Right. Here, because the road, you know, again, was on the back burner there. Uh, it, it was cool to do that, you know, and. Kelly and I, we like to entertain. We have people over, man, you know. We got a grill. We got a deck out here. And Excellent. Nice big open floor plan here in the house. Very spacious. And, uh, and she and I are very much alike. So, yeah, we, we have a blast on that side. Awesome. Well, on that, on that note of the road, are, are you one of these people clawing at the bit to go back out again? Or you're just like, no, you know what? I'm going to stay around here as much as possible and only go when the money's right because I've seen that movie too many times. And I'm just That's not exactly how I feel, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Europe with uh, Bill Evans. Oh, man. Yeah, the tenor player. Right. Um, and uh, we'll be over there for uh, about two and a half weeks, I think. I don't want to go, uh, <laughs> but we'll be over there the first, you know, two and a half weeks of July. Okay. And, you know, the music will be great, but I, I, it's the travel, as you were saying, you know, it's just like, I, I don't want to go to the airport for nothing. Yeah, it was interesting. I went to the airport for the first time last week and I walked in there and I was just like, you know, it seems like it was just yesterday and I don't miss it. Yeah. And it's worse now because of the masks and the whole thing. Exactly. I made the joke of um, my first flight was canceled. I was on the plane 5 a.m. Oh. And uh, they're like, sorry, something's wrong with the plane. And then it had to be completely rerouted. And then on the way back, uh, uh, a flight was heavily delayed. I was like, things are back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> Good to be lo back. Lo and behold. <laughs> I'm doing some gigs up in the the Midwest, I'll be in uh, at that, you know, that blues festival in Wisconsin, uh, Waukesha. Oh, the Waukesha Blues Festival. Excellent. Well, if I'm in town, I'll, I'll have to come out and harass you. Yeah, please do. Be my guest. Excellent. And maybe sit in on something. Oh, I'd love to do that. That'd be fantastic. We could pull an amp up. It, it'll be uh, our, I think, the first show of that trip. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah, it is. And it's on, I think, the uh, August 13th. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we'll be there. So, and then we have, like, we're playing Philadelphia. We're playing in Cincinnati. We were playing in Chicago, but I think that got pulled because of COVID. Ah. A um, couple of things went away. And what is the lineup of this of this particular unit? Indeed, um, Doug Belote. Oh, yeah, drummer. the mighty Doug Belote. He's a buddy of mine. He's a good fella. He is uh, on drums. And, and he's uh, funny, Andy, too. Yeah, he's a, he's a nut <laughs> in a good way. Yes. Uh, Andy Hess on bass. Oh, excellent. And a saxophone player that I met recently here in Nashville. Uh, his name is Jovan Coelho. So he'll be playing tenor and alto. Awesome. So no rhythm guitar, no keyboard, you know. 
I like another guitar, but hard for me to find somebody that really lights me up. Yeah, as I hear a rhythm you. player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very hard to find that, man. People don't really play rhythm guitar too much, Greg. It's weird. Well, that's that's one thing I've worked on. <laughs> <laughs> it takes work. It takes work. Absolutely. Chords rule, basically. Yeah. If we're honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and of course, playing in a trio, you, you need to know some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I was thinking back when we did that... Uh, we did that gig up in Minnesota. A couple of things I, I remember about it was kind of funny was that I remember you had requested a uh, a blackface super reverb. And so I said, because it was a music store that was helping sponsor the thing. And I was like, Robin, mm -hmm. wa Robin wants a healthy blackface super reverb to use for the gig. And then we got to the end. Of course, everything else is going on, making arrangements for this, that, and the next thing. And uh, your plane got canceled the first. So you like flew in the day of. So we're like rushing around to get ready to go. And they brought up that, that silver face and you plugged in and it just went. And you looked at me and you went, really? Uh, like, God bless it. So then they brought another, they brought two silver faces and you plugged into that one. It was the same thing. And you looked at me and I go, people. And you go, they're the worst. <laughs> Present company excluded, of course. But then you, you know you plugged into a twin, and then it all, it all worked out fine. But it was it was it was a fascinating gig. That was that was a lot of fun to do, and I, I appreciate you being so gracious with my son for that gig too, because you know, he was a young lad, and oh, yeah. we had rehearsed all the stuff. And I remember you launched into Love and Cup, I think, which is if you're not prepared for it, it, it can be turned around, and oh, it yeah. started. And I remember, I remember like in slow motion turning around as Dylan came in on the offbeat, and you were so cool. You just turned around and you switched it like it, it like less than like a half a second, and it's all switched around. It's like. Oh my God. And you were all smiles. It was all great. So thank you for oh, that. That was a lovely, that was a beautiful day, Yeah, man. <laughs> and he played his ass off. And that was with, um, Roscoe and David, David Grissom. Grissom. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. I had his face in my mind. I couldn't think of his name. Yeah. Very cool. But that was, that was a long time ago already though. I was like, time flies, man. It's crazy. Gotta be 15 years ago, maybe. I don't know if it was, I don't that know if it was, yeah, 10? it was about probably, probably 10-ish years ago. Yeah, well, if Dil, well, Dylan's, now nah, Dylan's 26 now, so he was probably 18 at the time. So, yeah, that's, it's, yeah, yeah. Okay, eight years ago. I just don't even know anymore. I understand. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Time just rolls along. You know, I was going to just, you know, guitar geek out for a, a minute. You know, there was, there was kind of a period where, it's like uh, you had newer guitars, yep. and you had that Fender Esprit, and you know it's kind of interesting. There's a uh, there's a buddy of mine who's actually the drummer in my band for years, but he's a guitar player as well, and he loved those old Esprit models. He's probably got thirteen of those damn things. Wow, the precursor to your model, right? And not uh, precursor, no. My model was the original. Oh, you're oh okay. But it it the, it became the Robin Ford model a little later. I got you. Okay. Yeah. It, it was the first guitar, the one that I had, you know, was the first of two, a prototype, you know. And that was a cool sounding guitar, I mean, without doubt. I mean, it did that that coil tap thing pretty doggone great. It would get those... Well, that's what I liked about it in particular, for sure. Right. And also, man, you know, like I eventually, I don't remember how quickly this happened. Talk to your daughter album, I was using Seymour Duncan pickups, flat out. Okay. Jeff back in the treble position, and I don't remember what the rhythm position was. But uh, a little later, uh, with the Blue Line, on the first Blue Line album, I, I had a real PAF. Okay. 
in the uh, treble position. Got it. And, you know, that was that was especially cool sounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you we'd see it with various different instruments. Of course, your telly was always in the arsenal. And then, you know, maybe going back, what, 15 years ago or so, you're, there was a while you had that less polished thing. I think that was a Japanese-made custom jobber that you had for a hot minute. Um, well, we had the, the Robin Ford model as a solid body. It became a solid body like a Les Paul. Right, 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 right. I mean, it was still the same cutaway, but it was solid and rosewood fretboard, which, you know, the, the Robin Ford model originally was spruce top and a ebony fretboard, you know. So it was very bright. Right, right, right. Light and bright. But it seems like you've really gravitated towards more of the vintage axes. Big time. And, and can you explain a little bit about that? I mean, I understand it, but I mean, what was there a conscious thing of like, screw it, I don't want to, I don't want to explore any kind of newer things. These, these older instruments say it all for me and let's move on type of a thing. Well, it's just true because I did try and try, you know, for one thing, those instruments are very expensive, you know, the vintage instruments, especially like a Les Paul, you know, my right. God, you know, it's ridiculous. So, uh, I kept looking for that great Les Paul and, um, I did buy when I couldn't afford it. I bought a 55 gold top. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I used for for a while there, but you know there was a lot of problem with buzz, right? You know, with the single coil pickups, and also I think the truss rod was rattling. Oh, because it was just this slightly gnarly thing that after a while was bugging me, you know. And I'm like, man, I need to get a real Les Paul, you know. When I say real, I mean something with PAS, right? right? And I think I must have been a little naive. You know, I, I sold mine. And I don't know, I think I might even have started trying to buy 335s or something at that point. Because I knew that, you know, the, the, the really, the, the humbucking Gibson, you know, late 50s, early 60, you know, that I, I wasn't going to be able to afford it. Unobtainium, as we like yeah, to say. Yeah, unobtainium. <laughs> so I think I actually thought maybe uh, I can get back to the 335, you know. And um, so I started, I went on a little quest for 335, you know, and um, they were pretty good, but didn't really quite work out, you know, and then I started buying new Les Pauls, you know, I bought a couple of them and, uh, you know, gold top. I had one of them refinished. <laughs> I was trying to get that Jeff Beck look. Right. And um, eventually it was just like, screw it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I got my Epiphone out of Mothballs. It's a 64. And, man, you know, I, I used that one on the um, uh, Bringing It Back Home album. And that became that and my 60 Telecaster, which I'd bought during the Blue Line days. Those became my instruments, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I started looking for Les Pauls again. Yes, of course. That never ends. What is it about Les Pauls? Let me show you something. So I bought a couple of gold tops oh. and eventually let them go because uh, for whatever the reasons. But so this is a, a 54 conversion okay. you know, to 59. Right. So that's not 
the original top. Right. You know, they, they actually put a flame top on a 54 body. Uh, so uh, a lot of changes here. And um, those are the real deal PAFs. They are late 50s PAFs and they sound insane. And this guitar went through a big journey, you know, trying to get to where it is today. Awesome. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's very convincing. Oh, no <laughs> doubt about it. Well, I mean, it's the old wood and it's the old pickups. Yes. Who cares? You know? Yes. But I got to tell you, it, there's just something a little weird, you know? Oh, really? Just a little something. But it still sounds great. And I'm going to try to make it work. You know, I'm going to start playing it a lot. So what would you say to those who, who aren't as familiar? Um, what are the things you find in a Les Paul that you don't get with a 335 for you? Well, I mean, 335 in particular has that, those feedback, you know, problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the 335. But I think I've been playing solid body guitars for so long that I overplay them. You know what I mean? I got you. Gotcha. I mean, they are hollow. They're just a little lighter. They're just a little uh, more delicate. So touch-wise, you mean? Yeah. Even the way you hold it, like, you know, like, and, you know, I, I find out, my, my hands you can't see, <laughs> but you know how you, you <laughs> kind of squeeze a guitar and it'll go sharp. Right. No right? doubt. Yep. You're making it go sharp. And uh, that happens with the, with the hollow body guitars in my hands because I'm very, you know, I mean, I've got a big time grip on that sucker. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Just pressing it into my body, you know, <laughs> and then try to be light out here. You know? Right, right. So uh, anyway, it's just a little too delicate ultimately for me. And the Epiphone, I use it, you know, in a, in a way like on that bringing it back home record, you know, like. I'm, I never hit the overdrive, you know. Yep. Rarely even use the treble pickup. It's all rhythm pickup. Right. And it's a lot more kind of jazz, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I'll use my Telecaster for the blues. I, I consider my Tele, it's like my blues guitar. You know, if I'm going to play some blues, then just get the Tele out. You know? Right, right, right. And the Les Paul now for me would be everything else. Got it. Yeah. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. Now, of course, we have to talk a little bit about that doggone Dumble because that is the thing that, you know, I'm sure you get asked about that mm. device all the time. But Quite all right. What do you think? I mean, was it instantaneous when you plugged into it? Like, this is my thing. Or did it take a while? And conversely, are there ways that have you run it differently over the years? You know what I mean? Have you, are you still exploring with it? Or you're like, mm. no, this is it. This is the way I run it. This is the way it sounds good. We're done here. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think fundamentally, it's hard for me to know for sure, because the very first one, uh, did you live in L.A., Greg? Never. Okay. There used to be this guy, Andy Brower, uh, who had a vintage uh, instruments and amps rental okay. uh, business. And uh, so he collected vintage gear of all kinds, and he'd rented out studio players. 
So the first one, the first Dumble I played uh, through, and it would have been like 1982, uh, he had the head. And um, I had a cabinet, a single 12 cabinet that I liked. And, um, or I would rent a cabinet even sometimes um, and rent his amp if I played a gig. Because indeed, the first time I played through it, I went, there it is. It's, I've been looking for this my whole life, right? Right. And uh, I don't know if you uh, are hip to this, Greg, but um, I've certainly told this story many times. But uh, Alexander designed the, uh, the Dumble Overdrive special from hearing me play through a blackface Fender Bassman combo. Not combo. Uh, piggyback. Piggyback. Got it. Which was like an early 60s blackface piggyback Bassman. So Alexander used to hear me play and he's, he heard something and he went, hmm. And uh, he started modifying Fender basement heads. No kidding. And that led to the Dumble Overdrive special. True. Awesome. So, I mean, like. Imagine, imagine if you got a royalty on every one of those amps to this day. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it. <laughs> but um, in any case, uh, so that's, you know, that was the most formative period for me was playing through a Fender back, uh, piggyback basement head. No reverb on those amps. And I didn't even think about it. I can't stand to play without reverb now. Right. But back then, I didn't even think about it, you know. And uh, so I think that that's why when I plugged into it, like the things that I had loved about that, you know, the Dumble, uh, excuse me, the, the, basement. the basement, I think they were there. Only it was way better. Aha. <laughs> you yeah. know, way, you know, much wider, you know, tone spectrum, you know, and uh, louder and um, clear, clearer. So, uh, you know, then I asked him to make a cabinet for me and he did, you know. I paid $1,250 for my first Dumble head, 100 watt, you know, overdrive special. I paid uh, $600 for the cabinet. Wow. So less than two grand for the amp that I've been using ever since. Right. <laughs> and now, of course. Well over 100 grand now. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So at that point in time in 82, who would have been, so like Lowell George used one, right? He used, he was a Dumble guy and David he Lindley did. and was, yeah. uh, was Ry Cooter early on a, a Dumble? I think so. Okay. I'm not positive, but all of those guys, you know, everybody out there at, went through the Dumble, you know, Bonnie Raitt, you, you know, tried oh. it for a while, probably because Lowell George used one, uh, but she didn't like it and she moved away from it. But I remember going into uh, Westwood Music or West L.A. Music. I can't remember the name of the dude who owned that place, but he was infamous and, uh, you know, had a great music shop. And uh, I went in there and he said, hey, man, you should check out. This is Lowell George's Dumble. And he had sold it. Uh, I think Lowell was still alive at the time. I don't remember for sure. I think he was. But uh, here was Lowell, Lowell George's uh, Dumble a combo, you know, single 12 combo thing. And I played to it and I did not like it at all. Ah, interesting. 
Yeah, and that was my first exposure to the Dumbo. And I've never liked the combos, man. Interesting. I've never liked them. I've played through quite a few. I even he even built another one for me at one point, and I'm like, I don't dig it. Ah, interesting. So it's got any are they are your cabinets closed back or are they kind of a they're open. It's a single 12 and they're 50 watts. Ah, interesting. Interesting. I just need that 100 watts, man. And I need two 12-inch speakers. If I'm going to play a gig, that's pretty much what I need. That's it. I'll tell you what, though. um, You know, a little present to to the the folks out there who aren't aware of this. But I recently, well, a couple of years ago, I purchased uh, a Fender Vibrolux Reverb custom oh yeah you know them that's my fi- that's been my main amp for since they have come out come on yeah yeah, yeah. until i devi- designed my own amp with uh the the cock company that has my same last name but uh, prior to that that was my main amp for years no kidding so uh, yeah, with yeah. the white knobs that's correct okay so it's a remake of of the old blackface right well except for from what i understand now i'm no uh I'm no potentate when it comes to technical talk, but I will say this from what I understand <laughs> is that the uh, the reverb works on both channels and they took out the negative feedback thing. So it actually breaks up more like a tweed amp than it does like a blackface amp. Okay. Is that a so fact? That's, wh- that's why I refer to it as kind of like a plexi with reverb. You can, you know, I would either run it like low, like three and a half-ish and then hit pedals if I was doing lesser volume things. Or a lot of times I'd plug a telly straight into that beast and turn it up to about seven. Mm. And, and just we're talking about, is it a 210? 210s. Yeah, yep. okay. Wow, that's the amp. And plus, Mine, they're dirt cheap. They're dirt cheap. You can find them everywhere for like seven, 800 bucks. Yeah, that's right. And I did exactly that. <laughs> I found one for that kind of money. Only, I mean, I played through every amp in the store. I needed a smaller amplifier for recording. Right. And, and so uh, that was the one. And I, I got it for that as you were saying, like, I mean, I would turn it up to seven and play guitar solos. Right. I wasn't even, I wasn't using it for rhythm. And I, I used it on the Purple House record a bunch. So um, I took it into a guy here in Nashville named Todd Sharp. It's Nashville Amp Repair. Okay. He put in a larger transformer. He did a, a, some other kind of a tweak that I'm not sure of, but not big deal. He might have put in different tubes or something. And um, I had to have a 12-inch uh, single 12, um, you know, the cabinet looks like the one right. that the amp came in. But you can't, you can't put a 12-inch speaker into that size cabinet. Got it. So I had to have one made to fit a 12-inch speaker. So it looks the same, but I have a single 12 in there, having had to build a cabinet for it, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I bet that sounds good. It sounds fantastic. It's clean. Uh, it's, it's, it's got meat, you know. It's rich. And um, uh, it's a Celestian, you know, uh, it's a cream back in there right now, which I'm not crazy about. But point being, inexpensive amplifier. I did a mod on it. And, I, you know, I plug my guitar into it. And it's like, that's all I need, unless I need to be a lot louder. It's just, it sounds as good as the Dumble. It's a great amp. I, I've used it on all kinds of r- records that I've done. That's been, uh, it's always, I, I go away from it and then I come back to it. And uh, I, and then I found another one. I've got one with the white Tolex. So the first year they were made, it was white Tolex with the brown face with the white knobs. And I found another one mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, but <clears throat> kind of a funny story. So at the time I had just started doing a bunch of stuff for Fender and 
they're having me do clinics and shows and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I'd probably do like two weeks out of the year for them or whatever. And I used to like those little pro junior amps, you know, the single 10 with the volume and a tone. Mm -hmm. And I was using like two of them. And then I was using four, (laughs) I put, you know, two, and I would just dime them and I'd use the volume on the guitar. It sounded majestic. You know, it wasn't deafening, but it was power amp, you know, uh, tube distortion. Yeah. And, uh, but they weren't obviously very rugged and so on and so forth. So I ended up finding a boogie amp called the Maverick, which I didn't really like boogies that much, but that one in particular sounded like what I was hearing with these pro juniors. And one of the Fender guys called me up and said, rumor has it, you've been gigging around with a boogie amplifier and that would greatly hinder your ascendance uh-huh. into our, into your sponsorship. <laughs> so you need to talk to somebody here in the, and so I talked to Richie Fliegler. I remember I called him up and Richie said, just get that Vibrolux that we just came out with. Uh-huh. And so I got that amp, and he was dead nuts right. And it, it sounds magnificent. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about the, the, the Pro, was 10-inch speaker. Yeah. And you say you, would, you, you linked them. I did. How did you do that? At the time, I was using, uh, I, I liked that um, Korg G4 Leslie simulator. Mm. Did you ever play one of those? No. I, I, it was. It's actually sounded really good. And the only reason why I knew what it was is because that was when Warren Haynes first started Government Mule. That's what he used for his <clears throat> his Leslie sound. And what was cool about it is, like everyone can kind of do the faster Leslie sound, but that's the slower sound mm-hmm. that that you know, especially with guitar pedals that don't sound realistic. That one actually sounded great. So I, I only used- pulled out my phone here because I'm writing this down so that I get it. No worries. So. So I, what I did is out of the G4, I just, I took like a Y cable and I would go into the two and then the two and then go stereo out. Okay. That way. So you had two in, uh, outs from the Korg. Correct. And you'd do a stereo cable. Correct. Out of for, each. For bo- exactly. Okay. And uh, I'm going to get one of those. Uh, you know, that's a good one. But you know what? What's interesting is I got the G4 and then I bought another one because I liked it so much. But then... Uh, and then I went to the Hughes and Kettner for a while, but then I came across the Neo Instruments ventilator, uh, which is this German-made device, and that is my favorite one. Uh, as, Neo as far as the, Instrument Neo Instruments ventilator, it's a it's a savage device. And so there's a mini vent, so there's a smaller one that just has a has an on-off, fast and slow, uh-huh. and then the the uh, ventilator two is kind of a bigger one where you can dial in the stuff in the overdrive on it and so on and so forth. The initial one had this gray enclosure enclosure, and for whatever reason, I don't think it's the gray enclosure, but that one just seems to sound a little different from the other, the newer one. They all sound great, but oh, you know, uh, it's a technology by getting better gets worse. Yeah, sometimes. So, uh, but that's that's a really good. It's not it's not inexpensive, but it's it's really sounds good. Especially the slower sounds very believable to me, and the fast sounds great. And, and it's got a overdrive feature if you want to overdrive it a little bit, and you can kind of accentuate the top barrel or the bottom barrel. You know what I mean? It, it's awesome. Sounds pretty damn good. But then I started playing with the organ trio, and then I was like, I'm not going to use a Leslie simulator when there's an organ next to me. No. <laughs> Why would you do that? Exactly. Uh, but I've been having fun with. With various different things. I got this little uh, Magnavibe pedal, which does that Magnatone amp thing. So if I want to do the Lonnie Mac thing or the Robert Ward, you know, warble of a Magnatone amp, that thing sounds great. So I've got that. And then I, on my- What's it called? It's called the Magnavibe. And it's yeah, real, sim- real simple pedal. Just got a depth and a speed. And it's made by Bigfoot Effects. But I set that for- I've the, heard of them. For the Lonnie Mac mode. 
but on my signature amp I did with Cock Amplifiers, it's got a um, it's got a, a um, harmonic vibrato on board. So it's like a brown face Fender vibrato. So it sounds like a Univibe. So a lot of times, especially when I'm playing with a trio, I just bring a chord, that amp, and I'm done so because it's got everything on it. Isn't that lovely? Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. I'm going to have to check it out, Greg. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? I'll bring one okay. in, in, uh, in August. I'll bring it over to you. You know, it's, I think what happened was, you know, I designed it. I liked it with two tens. I did the combo with two tens because I liked the Vibralux so much. Mm-hmm. But then what I realized when I started playing with the trio with my son, my son's a heavy hitter. And then Toby, in order to get the bass to sound loud, the, the organ is an instrument that takes over the world. And the yeah. <laughs> And so I found that the tens weren't cutting it. So then I started using a head, a head with a two twelve bottom, and that that was doing the trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean so. for live, seriously, I, for, for me the guitar needs two twelve inch speakers. <laughs> There's because you just can't capture. Yeah, it's hard. The rest of it. Yeah, yeah. For me, right? I hear you. I hear the language you speak. <laughs> I like the uh, the organ trio thing, man. I did that for a while. It's it it's a blast. blast. It's a lot of fun. Well, what was interesting about it is that my son was playing gigs with this Toby guy up in Minneapolis, and he was always come back and says, "You got to hear this organ player." Huh. And and uh, so one day he came down, and I I booked a session. Um, Recording. My son kept on going. Yeah, and I, so the first notes we ever played together ended up being the first tune on the record because <laughs> I I grabbed the Les Paul that Vibralux amp. Uh huh. And just plug straight into it. And I said, well, let's just do a shuffle in G. And I made up a little head on the spot. So literally the first notes we ever played together was, was the on first the tune on the record. And then we're like, well, we listened back. We're like, well, there's something weird going on here. Yeah. So then Isn't that wonderful, from- man? That's just the best thing when that yep. kind of stuff happens. It happens rarely. It does. It happens very rarely. So it's been going good. I mean, we've been doing it now for going on four years and... No one's getting bored, and it's like one of those things. As soon as we plug in, as soon as like the the input jack goes in, the jamming starts. You know what I mean? New stuff. You know, it's, so it's sweet. It's been a blast. Congratulations! I'm going. I'm, I'm going deaf, but it's great. Uh, from the organ. <laughs> well, the problem is that I, you know, I always set up on the right side, so I'm always going like this. Yeah. And so my left ear. Is getting the drums yeah. and then the or if I go over on the other side where the organ's at, yeah, it's 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 loud. I'm not complaining because it's glorious, but I, I actually wear earplugs all the time now. I used to wear one in and not the other, and now I just yeah, I'm fully earplugged because I just uh, you know I don't have tinnitus that bad, but I do have a like a cicada living in my left ear, and um, yeah, we it, all have a little. Yeah. I mean, I've heard horror stories from a guy called me up and said, you know, I heard you talking about, you know, your tinnitus. And I said, well, it's really not that. And they just described like the most horrible thing. I'm like, no, I mean, if I'm, it's, I mean, I hear it, but it's not, it doesn't, you know, I don't lose sleep over it. But, um, you know, Don Mock. Yeah. You know, Don, uh, I know of him, but I don't know him. But yeah. I mean, he's like, he, if he plays the guitar, it, it it distorts. Oh man, that would just be hell. Yeah, he can't hit a note without it going. It's crazy. So I'll count my blessings then on that. One. <laughs> God bless him. So, do you use earphone or earplugs or? Well, I, or, or do you find that having the amp low, like on the ground, helps you? Yeah, I mean, I I go ahead and take a little bit of a beating, like, but for me. 
the the thing that hurt me is, is that drums. Right, the cymbals. Yeah, and, and the snare. probably some snare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's what's done the most damage. When I was with the Blue Line, you know, a long time ago, I had two dumbbells. I, I literally toured with two dumbbell heads and two by in two by twelve cabinets. Took them, had a rack with my gear. I spent more money shipping that money that stuff than I made. <laughs> So uh, ridiculous and loud. You imagine two, you know, 100 watt dumbbell heads, you know, we were loud, man. And um, so I started wearing earplugs back then. Well, one of my, I was going to tell you, my, my favorite Roscoe story is we, we were playing at a, um, a festival in town here. And we were playing there for three nights, oddly enough. But this friend of mine booked this thing called Festa Italiana. It was at the Summerfest grounds. Uh -huh. And we were playing at the same place for three for three nights. Mm -hmm. And they had backline provided and so on. But I brought my I brought a Super Reverb and my Vibrolux that I like to use. Uh -huh. And I had it set up. We were running, and, and Roscoe had this 810 stack that he was using that we brought. And then they had another 810 stack that was uh, available as backline. So we were playing the first tune, and in the first tune, I see Roscoe look at this guy at the side of the stage and goes, so they, in the middle of the first song, they bring over the other 810 stack, and there's a momentary bass cuts out for a minute, and then he's got the, the two full stacks, and, and we proceed to do the rest of the show, and it was great. And, we, and so the next night, the, the sound guy comes up to me, and they're all union sound guys, so it's, you know these guys for years, because they're the yeah. same guys every year. yeah. And the one guy comes up to me and uh, he goes, you know, I got a problem with your bass player. I go, you mean Roscoe? Yeah. The mighty Roscoe back? He's like, well, um, apparently he goes up to Roscoe and he says, you know, you're really loud. And Roscoe, and Roscoe says, well, that's my thing. Yeah. And, and the engineer goes, well, you were so loud I couldn't even have you in the mains. And Roscoe says, well, that's your thing. And turned around and walked away. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> if I could get a t-shirt, uh, that's your thing. It's perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he knew what he was, he was doing there. <laughs> oh, well, that's your thing. Yeah. Oh, he's, I love him. <laughs> we just spoke on the phone the other day for the first time in a while. Oh, did you know, you you probably know that Roscoe did, uh, he did a Texas Rangers uh, baseball. Uh, yes, and Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. that was so cool. But uh, anyway, um, Dal Booth, uh, our old, I mean, he was my manager, but, you know, Blue Line, he handled the Blue Line band, uh, um, had recorded the Blue Line live for five nights, two shows a night in Oakland at this jazz room called Yoshi's. Right. Uh, and it was the Yoshi's moved uh, into a bigger place, but this was done in the smaller room. So he had 10 shows, you know, of the blue line. And we had Bill uh, Boblitz on organ and piano. And uh, they were recorded on ADAT. And um, it was, Dow called me up and he said, what would you think about doing a deal and releasing these things? And uh, I was like, yeah, I, I listened to it and I'm like, yeah, I think this would work, you know. And so we're going to be releasing these things. And uh, awesome. this is what kind of put me back in touch with, you know, Roscoe and Bill. I, I just you know, say, hey, guys, you're going to dig this because it's really good, you know. Right. And it was when we had stopped being a loud ass trio and, you know, brought organ and, you know, and also piano at times into the mix. I even used to play some uh, kind of acoustic, you know, it was an electric acoustic 
Roscoe. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that record. The 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 acoustic bootleg is like the It's from the same period. It might have happened like literally a week later or something or weeks later or I don't remember, but it's the same period. Yeah, and we weren't so loud anymore. You know, I was down to one dumble and uh, you know, Roscoe might have been down to one, two by or four, you know, two four ten cabinets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. It was very cool. And God, man, everybody just sounds great. And I'm thinking of this because of Roscoe. Like, he sounds just fantastic. He's great, you know? Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, as a guitar, he's the ultimate guitar player, roots guitar player's bass player. Am I right? I mean, he's just, he just knows all of that stuff, whether it's blues or if he has to go into Jack Bruce land or if he has to go to Gerald Germont, you know what I mean? He knows all of that stuff and just knows what to do to make the guitar players. He does. Comfy. I mean, I, he was too loud. <laughs> <laughs> but finally, when we started bringing the upright, you know, that Zeta bass, you know? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Man, I just went that way. You know, like, cause I mean, I brought all the music, you know? All right. So I just, I just started writing for, Zeta bass. <laughs> Got you. Because uh, it, was, it, was, it wasn't so loud. You know? These are it's the things we do. The choices you make. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Artistic it's, yet uh, also... Um, practical. Practical. Yes. Exactly correct. Well, it's, what is it? Form follows function. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, doggone it. I probably say that very phrase a thousand times in every one of these interviews. Let me ask you this. But, um, <laughs> you know, you've had this long, unbelievable career. You've played with, you know, the who's who of the who's who. And looking back on it, I mean, it's obviously, you know, we can't do things over again. But if you look back on what you did, is, is there something, anything that you would think of, man, I should have done more of this or I'm, or I'm really glad this happened to make me where I'm at today. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I will tell you, you know, honestly, it's uh, the whole thing has been a bit of a double-edged sword, you know. Um, having been incredibly fortunate to, to be invited at at a very early age to work with, um, you know, Joni Mitchell and Tom Scott and the LA Express, I mean, I wasn't emotionally ready for that. I wasn't psychologically prepared to be in that environment. Mm. Uh, I was a baby. I had my 22nd birthday right before we, we went on the road. I was already in the band. I was still 21, I think. Because I remember, uh, yeah. I had my 22nd birthday right before we started touring with that band. And I'm from Ukiah, California, man. Right. <laughs> I'm a bumpkin. I'm a small town kid. So I was around a lot of adults. Thank goodness they were lovely people, all of them. They were really good to me. And, you know, they, I, I don't know about exactly took care of me, but musicians are nice people, you know? Right. It's like being around you, you know? You know, you know how musicians are. The musicians are generally nice people if they don't have a stick up their ass, right. you know? Right, right, right. So it was a lovely environment. And it was very helpful in that way. And 
at the same time, you know, I kept wanting to go back out on my own, you know. I always wanted to do my music. And uh, I wasn't ever bored with her, but I, I, I would get bored playing with people, sure. you know. Because it's like, okay, we're going to do that again, you know. And also when you're working for others, often, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're, you can be in a functional role. So that for me, it's like, you know, I, I, I needed to be able to just do my thing. Right. Right. So I would only say that, you know, that was, that was really where, where I was at. But I can only say that I think I, I could have, I, I, I was done with it a longer time ago than when I finally decided to stop. I wish I'd stopped doing that a longer time ago. I got you. <laughs> but, you know, with, with that, that kind of thing, though, it's kind of, as you said, double-edged sword. But it just, the fact that, I mean, you know, when you can say, yeah, I've played with um, a Beatle. I've played with, <laughs> I play, to, to Charlie Musselwhite being your first, I mean, total blues street cred, Jimmy, Jimmy Witherspoon. Uh, and then, you know, a Beatle, you know, and then Tom Scott. So you've got all, I mean, that really must have been, um, validating when you said, screw it, I'm going to do my own thing because it's like, well, the suspension of disbelief has already been off the table because he's already played with all these people. You know what I mean? That, yeah. Did you see that as an advantage or is it more like, oh, now I'm going to be typecast a little bit or I don't know. What, what do you think? No, I didn't ever think of those things at all. Uh, I mean, I, I think I did feel cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would imagine. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so it was good for my ego, you know. I don't think I was, you know, a drag, but, you know, so in a sense, it's good, you know. It's like you're kind of like, well, I must be kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Because how else would you know, you know, uh, if there you weren't getting a lot of props, you know, from around you. And then, you know, it's like, you know, people are starting to want to interview you and things like that. And you can get people's attention more easily. and play with, you know, musicians who are maybe higher, better than you, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, that was all, I was playing with people who were way better than me. So what better situation is there than that, you know? Right, right, right. Absolutely. So, um, I, I you know, like it's, it's, uh, what I, what I really enjoy doing more than anything is <laughs> funny way to put it, but anything musical. You know, I'm just as happy that yeah, well, they're gone. Most of them are gone now, but I would be just as happy sitting in a club listening to Joe Henderson, you know, with a, a rhythm section than playing. It's like my favorite thing in life, <laughs> you know, was being in a club, drinking, smoking cigarettes, listening to Sonny Rollins or something like that. I gotcha. Like, this is heaven. It's, it's not being up there. It's being exposed to this wonderful music, you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You don't have to go out and get in the van. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so producing for me is, is really something. I've wanted to do it for years, man, you know? <clears throat> I really have. You have to take the leap. And uh, that's why I say I wish I'd started doing what I'm doing now a, a longer time ago. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I got trapped by the road uh, because 
something, there was always something that was like the next carrot or something. You know? right, right. Like I, I would like, you know, leave a record deal and say, I'm never going to do this again. And then one day somebody would call me and offer me a lot of money and promotion. Right. <laughs> when I signed with, uh, I, w- I won't say label names, but when I signed with this one company, I'm like, look, man, <laughs> I said, don't give me any money. Just tell me that you're going to promote the hell out of this thing, you know? Right, 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 right. And he says, well, how about if I do, we do both? I'm like, okay, I'm in. And then I wound up just going on the road and doing the same thing I'd been doing for years before. It, nothing right. changed about it. It was exactly the same. So not only, you know, really hard on your body and mind, you know, to tour like we have done, whew, you know, uh, same, you know, SOS, as they say, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what I really wanted to do was, you know, be here in Nashville producing records. And that started to happen. And then COVID came along. So <laughs> I'm hoping that we're getting back, you know? Oh, and as I say, I spent my time because I couldn't produce anybody else producing my own record. Right. That is how I kept, you know, creative during the uh, experience, writing music, you know? Um, right. Recording, mixing. Well, it certainly seems that things are coming back. I mean, it's been weird because, you know, we had a tour booked in, still do as far as I know, in, in November in, <laughs> in the UK. And I'm like, there's no way that's gonna happen. I, I'm thinking there's no, right. and all of a sudden people are like, well, maybe in September some stuff will start to happen. And uh, like about a month ago, people were like, fuck it, everything's all, let's just go. You know, and it seems like everyone's booking everything everywhere and you're seeing these festivals. So you're going? No, well, no, I'm, we're, you know, I don't know if that November thing's going to happen, but it's, I mean, I think in Europe, they're a little, uh, it's not quite as um, uh, opening up as quickly as it is here. But it sounds like your, your thing's happening though, right? In July, as far as you know. Yeah. But it's it's very difficult, and there 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 are um, obstacles. Right, one and of those like, well, you got to go in quarantine. They haven't sent us any money yet. Oh, that's a problem. <laughs> and we're leaving in a month. <laughs> oh, and we're sp- they want us to buy our airline tickets. Oh, yeah. And we don't know the reason they don't is because they don't know that it's actually going to happen either. We'd be stuck holding the bag, and this is a month out, so it's really yeah, it's, it's still difficult, even though we're going. We're playing the Montreux Jazz Festival, supposedly. Uh, you know? Right, right, right. So it's like, are we? We still don't know. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, I have But no, anyway, I'm doing yeah. a few dates in August, yes. Right. And we were going to be in London, and they pulled the plug on it because of COVID. So that's why I'm very curious if and when you're going to be going to England, man, you know? Yeah, this would be middle of November. But, uh, but, he, but he's kind of like, well, as it is now... You'd have to go into quarantine for like ten days before the. I'm like, I can't. No, I can't go into quarantine. What I'm going to stay at a hotel and yeah, and eat food for a week. Yeah, it would only cost you ten thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> well, that sounds like fun. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, I'm I'm of the mind as like, hey, you know what? I'm in no hurry. I've been fortunate where I've been able to do all the live streams from the house and yeah, and and that's been going great. You've been very busy. It, well, you know what? What was interesting is my relationship with Fishman. Um, they were steering more towards doing uh, online stuff, anyways, because they know that I had you know built up this online thing, and 
They're like, man, we'll just have you do some stuff from your house. And then COVID hit. And they're like, well, we're going to send you some stuff to help with the technical side of stuff. So as you mentioned, you as you I- mentioned earlier, you know, it's, it was a big learning curve because I am I am definitely not uh, Captain Techno. And so, but they they got no. I don't know how to plug in an overdrive. Oh, uh, it's I tell you what, I got up to speed though, and uh, you know we did all these various different things, and so I do four live streams a week, really five, because then on the weekends we actually do full band things, mm-hmm. and um, so it's been great. But you know the the dough has been. Where do you do the full band? Right in this room. So Toby sets up over here. The drums are right here. We go. Everything goes into. Uh, this Tascam, and then it goes into Logic, into the computer. It goes through this thing called Loopback into OBS, which marries the different cameras. I got a little foot switch here that allows me to switch the cameras. And uh, away we go. And um, it, it you know, actually, you know what's funny is I got a, a buddy of mine from Fishman, uh, Ryan Fitzsimmons, who's a great dude. And he actually beams into my computer and runs sound and does the cameras as we're playing. So he's doing virtual sound and cameras. Oh, that so is that's cool. been great. So we the quality of it's been great, and yeah, and people have been very generous. And you know, we got a bunch of different. You know, we put out a record, uh, and people were very cool about. You know, I was like, do we put out a record during COVID? We're not traveling, and people bought them up and continued to do so. And you know, the people buy these hats, they buy overdrive pedals. You know, it's they've been they've been great. So. Awesome. The point is, is that I'm not real like, oh, I can't wait to go eat shitty food in a van again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I never do it again, it'll be all right. If I never do right. it again, it'll be too soon. Well, I am looking forward to you coming to Waukesha, though. That'll be fun. That's a good festival. Those, those are good folks. Yeah. We're, um, you know, cause I was, we were talking about the travel side of it, you know, and going to the airport and everything. So uh, we're doing this tour in a Winnebago, ah, a mobile awesome. home. Awesome. You can get up, walk around, make a sandwich, go lay down, go to bed, you know, go to sleep. And that's how, you know, I'm like, if I was going to be going to the airport every day, I wouldn't do it. Right. I would it's not a, do it. It's unpleasant. And, uh, to say the least, you know. I don't know. I don't think I'm worried about COVID anymore, like getting it. I mean, of course, right. I've gotten my shots and all that. Right. But it just feels funky, man. It does. It just feels greasy. It's kind of, you know, ugh, something. Yeah. So we're going to just make sandwiches and, and drink Pepsi. and. That sounds great. Listen to the radio and watch TV. On <laughs> <laughs> the so Winnebago. So that's not making that work. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Me too. Well, listen, my friend, I've probably taken up enough of your time here. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. And, uh, what a pleasure. Always great to see you, man. Likewise. And uh, I'm hoping I'm going to be in town in August. I think I will be. And uh, it'll be great to catch up then, too. So, Yeah. Um, indeed. Uh, if you want to bring your own little amp, that's probably a good idea. You'll have your own sound. You know? I shall do it. Okay. That'll be cool. That'll be that'll be a blast. Thanks. That'll be a that'll be good times. Yeah, man. And then we'll partake in a tasty feast too. While we're Why not? <laughs> All right, my friend. Thank you so much. I will definitely let you know when this airs. It's going to be soon because I 
I kind of uh, got far behind and we actually went dark the last couple of weeks here. So I would imagine that this will go up pretty soon. I'll keep you apprised as to when it does and uh, away we will go. All right. Thanks, Greg. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a good one. See you, brother. See you later. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the Mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon.